It is so good to be back with you all. I know I said thank you earlier for the love. Again, I want to thank you for your prayers this week while uh, we were away. Many of you have asked, uh, was it a restful time? Was it a, a peaceful time? Yes, it absolutely was. Uh, for many of you who uh, don't know, when my family and I go on vacation together, um, I have a rule, and that rule is I turn my phone over to my wife. Uh, she is then instructed to hide said phone in the house, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you I have no idea where it is, and that is a wonderful feeling uh, to be disconnected. And so um, I really have very little idea as to what has happened in the world this week, uh, because we, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we didn't spend a lot of time watching TV either. Um, we spent a lot of time outside enjoying God's creation, being together as a family, reconnecting as a family, and resting, which is a wonderful thing and something we should all strive for uh, when we have opportunities to be away. But we are back now. We are happy to be back. It has been so good to shake hands with so many people, to hug so many people uh, today. Some of you we've not had an opportunity to get to yet. Don't worry, we will uh, by the end of this service, but I want to tell you it was a joy uh, uh, to pull back into this parking lot uh, this morning and to be back uh, with our faith family because we have missed you uh, this past week. And so we are thankful to be here. Now we are picking back up in our series through 1 Timothy today. This is uh, our series where we've been walking through 1 Timothy. We walked through Titus already. We're eventually going to get through 2 Timothy. Um, this is our series called Letters from the Pastor. And as we've already stated, we are now really beginning to dig into some of the issues that Paul was addressing with Timothy as he was leading the church at Ephesus. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to clearly see that Paul's words here run directly counter to the current climate of our culture. You see, our culture right now is twisted on the issues of gender and sexuality and the roles that men and women play. In fact, they are so twisted on the issues that they have now begun, uh, begun to put pressure on the local church in order to compromise our beliefs and even conform our beliefs. And sadly, many churches in the United States are beginning to fall under that particular pressure. You see, the reality of the church in our society today is this. We are beginning to look more and more like the world. The church today, just like society, is now marked by rampant immorality, degradation, and desensitizing of the holiness of marriage, and we have become confused over gender. In fact, I would argue that our current debates over equality and same-sex marriage are just some of the examples of the disturbing downward trend that we are on both as churches and as a society as a whole. In fact, it's become such a dividing issue within our society and Yes, even in our churches that churches today are refusing to talk about them or to even take a biblical stance on the issues at hand. You see, here's the reality. When it comes to gender and when it comes to sexuality and it comes to our roles, we will clearly see that the core of these very issues is the biblical role of manhood and the biblical role of womanhood. You see, these issues are the very root of who we are and who God is and who God created us to be. So today in our passage, our passage has to be viewed as one that is essential to the modern church. You see, our passage today in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not just a word for the church in Paul's day, but rather in our text, I hope and pray that as the modern church, we see the freedom that we have in our God-given roles. We see the freedom that the, the call of God that has been placed upon our lives, and then we begin to learn to submit to what can be called God's good design. 
So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we will begin reading in verse 8. Now, once you have found your place, and if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, again, these are Paul's words to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works." Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love, and holiness with self-control. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now in the midst of our morning. And Father, we pray that over these next few moments together that you would give us clarity of word, clarity of thought. And Father, as we worship you through the study of your word, we pray that in these next few moments that you and you alone would be glorified. So Father, we pray now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to worship you already today, the opportunity to worship you in song and, and the reading of your word. And now, Father, we pray that in these next few moments together that you would be glorified through our worship as we study your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the lessons that can be learned according to your word. And so, Father, we pray that again, that you would be lifted up, that you would be praised because that is the desire of our hearts. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for delighting in us. And Father, we seek to praise you now. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, before we jump into our passage, I want us to remember a few things because, again, I was out this past week, and while I'm thinking about it, I want to thank uh, Pastor Corey for leading us so faithfully next week or last week as he taught the word. I want to thank our worship team as they led, and I'm just thankful for uh, Jason Kalaski and also Jed, who uh, led our students with Jackie. I'm thankful for the leaders that God has brought to our church and how they continue to faithfully lead. It was nice to be away knowing that as your pastor, I had nothing to worry about uh, because of your faithfulness and your prayers, but then also because of the leadership that God has brought to our church. But now in coming back to our passage, I want us to remember a couple things before we get into our text. First of all, we need to remember that Paul was calling Timothy and the church at Ephesus to pray and to worship in light of what it is that he has already taught them. You see, Paul has already told Timothy in the church that we worship because of, because of God's desire for salvation for all people, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. We also know that we worship because it is God and God alone who is deserving of all of our worship, according to verse 5. And we also gather and worship because of Jesus Christ's atoning death upon the cross and for the resurrection that has been offered by his grace, according to verse 6. So we have already seen in 1 Timothy chapter 2 who it is that we are to worship, 
we have already seen who it is that we are to pray for, and we have now already seen what it is that we are to be praying for. And now Paul is going to tell Timothy and the church at Ephesus, and even us today, who we need to be as we pray and as we worship. You see, we are called to be biblical God-honoring men and biblical God-honoring women who bring glory to God within the context of the local church. And so what Paul is going to do is he is clearly going to begin addressing situations and problems that were evident in the church at Ephesus. So these words in verses 8 through 15 are not words that just randomly appear in 1 Timothy, nor are they some sort of words that just simply come out of nowhere, as several scholars would suggest when studying this passage. Rather, what we're going to see today is in verse 8, Paul is going to talk about men who were either not leading in prayer at all or they were praying within the church while fighting with one another. Then we're going to look at verses 9 through 12 where Paul is going to speak specifically about women and what it was that they were wearing and how they had become a distraction and how these women were not only a distraction by what they were wearing, but they had become a disruptive part of the teaching and leadership of the church. So as we look at this particular passage, let's remember that God's word still applies to all people at all times. Many scholars would have us believe at this point that when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, you could almost remove them from the Bible because they have no significance or meaning to the church today. Rather, what we are saying today is since this is a part of God's word, it still applies to God's people. And so let's begin walking through this passage together. We will begin by looking again at verse 8. Paul here opens by saying that he wants men to pray in every place. In other words, men are to lead in prayer in their homes, in public gatherings, and yes, within the local church. In other words, Paul wanted men of God to be men of prayer. Paul then tells us that he wants men to pray lifting holy hands. Now the emphasis here was not in the posture of prayer. Rather, Paul is calling men to pray with purity before God. Now there are two examples that we can actually look to in the word for the type of purity that Paul is actually talking about here and the type of purity that God desires. You look at Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4 and we read these words. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Again, in Psalm 26, verse 6, we read the words, I wash my hands clean in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. So each of these passages are now emphasizing the need for God's people to be pure. And so what we see is this. God's desire for purity is essential to prayer. God's desire for purity is essential before entering into worship. Now let's put this in our context today. It makes zero sense to hold on to sin in our lives while approaching a holy God both in prayer and in worship. Rather, as believers in Christ, as we gather for worship, we don't simply gather to check off another box on our to-do list. Rather, we gather for the purpose of glorifying 
God. So why do we hold on to unconfessed sins? Why do we hold on to bitterness? Rather, we are to confess our sins, be cleansed by the mercy of God through Christ, and then pray and worship in purity before God. Do you see what's happening here? There is preparation that takes place prior to entering into worship. So we have to ask ourselves, do I have some sort of deliberate sin that I am holding on to? Prior to to worship or prior to praying to a holy God, do I have some sort of grudge or bitterness that I am unwilling to let go? Well, not to sound cliched here, but I think Paul's point is fairly simple. He is saying to us this morning, give it to God. Confess these sins to him so that we can enter worship and we can enter prayer with a pure heart. You see, here's the thing that we need to remember that we often forget as believers. We may be able to hide our sins from the body of believers. We may be able to hide our anger and our wrath and our bitterness from our faith family. But God sees and knows everything that we are trying to hide. And so let us confess and be pure before him. Now, coming back to our text, Paul then goes on to say in verse 8 that men, as they pray, are to pray without anger or quarreling. In other words, we are to be at peace with others and we are to pray for peace in others. You see, here's the reality for us today as believers peace with God is artificial if there is not peace with one another. So when we look at the church at Ephesus, we can clearly see that false teachers were starting all kinds of disputes, both with the leaders within the church and then privately or secretly within the membership of the church. Well, here's our reality today. This very same thing is happening in the life of many of our churches. There have been controversies that have been started over a pandemic. We are fighting over whether we should wear masks or whether we should not wear masks. And instead of agreeing to disagree over what we should and shouldn't do, we degrade one another and we accuse one another and we insult one another over our opinions. We are now divided in controversies as believers over our politics to the point where we can't even talk about politics anymore. And yes, even in our own church, we are divided over secret conversations over what is being said about the leadership of the church. Let me tell you something today. These controversies will destroy the unity of the body of believers. But here's the reality. If we're having secret conversations about our leadership, if we're having secret conversations trying to get people away from the church or trying to remove leadership of the church, then you need to understand this, whether you're speaking it or whether you're hearing it and not holding people accountable, you need to realize that those who take part in these controversies will be held accountable by God. In other words, you will not win. Why? Because this is God's church. This church does not belong to any one pastor. It does not belong to any one deacon. It does not belong to any one elder or any one Sunday school teacher or any one individual. Southside Baptist Church exists because of God and God alone. So you see, as God's people 
when it comes to God's church, our tendency more often than not, even in coming to worship, has been to rush into corporate worship, to bypass our need to honestly confess our sin before God, and then to move on with our days as if everything is okay. But by God's grace, my prayer is that we would pray for our hearts to be clean before God. That when we come to worship, we would come pure and prepared for what it is that God will do. Now we move from there into verses 9 and 10. And here we see Paul, after addressing the men, now turns his attention to women who have become a distraction in the church. Now, upon reading verse 9 and 10, uh, we have to ask ourselves, does this mean that we as a church need to form a task force or a security team to check for braided hair and costly jewelry, and then if we see it, to forbid those who come in? The answer is no. And so here is where it is helpful for us to understand the culture that Paul is writing to and how this particular culture is now similar to ours. You see, Ephesus itself, like many other ancient cities, was filled with sexual immorality. And so it was common for women to use ornate fashion in order to draw attention to themselves for the purpose of seducing someone else, whether it be a leader or whether it be another person who was in the community or a part of the church. And so Paul says these words to the church. He says, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. In other words, Paul is saying that as Christian women, you should have a different motivation in your dress than the surrounding culture. In other words, women are not to dress in ways that draws attention to them or wear anything that would have any type of sexual overtone. Now, women, I get it, okay? I live in a house with a wife and four beautiful girls. And so with all due respect to you and the understanding of the pain as a man to shop for clothes with your daughters, there is a challenge that comes with the clothes that our society deems as okay. But you see, here's the reality. There are women in some churches like the church at Ephesus who are well aware who knowingly and willingly dress in a way that draws attention to themselves and distracts from honoring God, and they do so in such a way in order to attempt to seduce men in the church. Did you catch that? Willingly, knowingly seducing in order to draw attention. Now, again, ladies, if I could offer grace here and, and freedom here, ladies, you should not be asking what makes you most attractive when you come to worship. Rather, you should be asking this question. What can I wear that honors God by revealing a heart that is humbly devoted to worship? Now, Paul moves on from here and he begins talking of braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, Paul is drawing attention to this because the women were highlighting now their distinction between those who were wealthy and those who were poor that attended the church. Now, similar to our culture, women in Ephesus were now using their hair and using their dress and using their jewelry and odor in order to show their social classes and social statuses that separated themselves from those who were poor. 
And so Paul says, do not adorn yourself with what draws attention to you, especially when you have gathered for worship. Now, remember this. Women should want their worship and their lives to draw attention to God. Now, pay attention to Paul's words. Paul here is not saying to be plain. Women, Paul is not saying to find sackcloth and ashes and enter church that way. Paul is not saying here to adorn yourself with nothing. Rather, what Paul is saying, you can see it in verse 10, he says to adorn yourself with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. In other words, women are called to be adorned with good works as women who affirm that they worship God and God alone. So, my sisters in Christ, again, let me offer freedom here. In a world that scrutinizes the dress and the image of women more than anything else, I'm going to go on record and say it. The scrutiny of our president pales in comparison to the scrutiny that women undergo for their dress and for their image. And so women, when you look in the mirror, my prayer is that you would look for the good works that make much of Jesus Christ. My prayer for you, whether you are someone who uh, memorizes scripture or whether you write on note cards or yes, if you're one of those people who write on your mirrors, my prayer is that as you are preparing yourself in the morning that you would remember Matthew chapter five, verse 16, when it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And so my prayer is that God would raise up women all over our churches who refuse to get up and say, what will make me look good today so that people around me will be attracted to me? And rather you would ask, how can I dress and what can I do in order to draw the most attention to the glory of my God? You see, women, unlike the women of Ephesus, should not desire to distract, but rather live to attract others for the glory of God. We move from there into verses 11 through 15. And here again, Paul continues to address women and and what was going on in the church at Ephesus. So let's look again at the church in Ephesus. Now we already are going, we're gonna find this out, but we already know if you've already read through the remainder of 1 Timothy and into 2 Timothy, we know that men and women were being taught to not marry. And so what you have happening is these false teachers are now undercutting the holiness of marriage. We also are going to see and know that younger women were spending all of their time gossiping in the church as opposed to praying in the church or being discipled in the church. We also know that women were giving in to these false teachers and they started living according to their worldly passions. So what we have in the church at Ephesus was women who were abandoning godly doctrine doctrine, godly behavior, and godly leadership within the church. And so what we have in verses 11 through 15 can be called one of the most controversial and yet misunderstood passages within the Bible. So before we jump into these passages, I want us to remember uh, two items here. First of all, let's remember this. God created men and women with equal dignity. In other words, male and female are equally valuable to God because both male and female were made in the image of God. So to demean one or the other is actually to sin against God. 
So when we see these instructions for, from Paul, they actually have nothing to do with the value of men or the value of women. The second reminder I want us to keep in mind as we walk through these passages is this. God created men and women with complementary roles. In other words, men and women are different. Men and women are distinct in their respective roles. Both were created with a role that complements the other. And all of this was done by God's good design. Both men and women serve in roles that complement each other both in the home and also in the church. So as we look at our text, we need to remember that men and women have distinct roles to fulfill when God's people gather together. And so here's the reality of Paul's instructions here. They are actually not new. We actually see them all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 3. So whether in the home or in the church, we see that God has given equal value to men and women, yet with roles that complement each other. So now that we have the two reminders, let's get back into our text and see what it is that God prohibits in verse 11 and 12. Paul writes, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, Paul here is teaching us that women should not teach men in the church. Now, we have to ask ourselves at this point, can a woman teach? Yes, absolutely. Titus chapter 2 verse 3 tells us, and it's very clear, that older women should teach and older women should disciple younger women. However, Paul states that a woman should not teach or exercise authority over a man. So now we have to ask this question, what exactly does this mean from Paul? Well, 1 Timothy is clear um, that we clearly see in 1 Timothy, excuse me, that he is speaking of elders who are called to lead and teach the church. In other words, it is the elders who are called to teach with the authority to lead as well. So when Paul says that women are not to teach or exercise authority over men, he's pointing specifically to the two primary responsibilities of the elders of the local church. So what Paul is doing, he's actually telling us that women should not teach as elders or as pastors within the church. Now, this does not mean that all men have authority over women. It also does not mean that all men are to teach and that all men are qualified or called to be elders. You see, there are many men who don't have the skill set to teach. There are many men who are not qualified, nor are they called to be elders. So for Paul, he's making it clear that even a woman who has the gift of teaching is not intended to teach as an elder elder of the local church. Rather, Paul instructs them to listen willingly to the biblical instruction of the elders. Now, Paul does this by saying that a woman should learn with, learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now again, Paul is not saying that when women step foot in the gatherings of the church or within the gatherings of the body of the local believers, she should go mute or she should go silent. Rather, Paul is teaching that women, or teaching women that they should listen attentively with a teachable spirit to the God-ordained leaders in the church when they are teaching the word, which was obviously something that was not being done in Ephesus. Now again, let me be clear on this. Women can teach in a variety of settings within the local church, a church under the authority of their husbands or in accord with elder instruction. Scripture clearly backs this up. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, we learn that Timothy received instruction from his mother and his grandmother. 
In Acts chapter 18, verse 26, we see Priscilla and Aquila, her husband, took Apollos aside to explain God to him. In Matthew 28, in reading the Great Commission, we see that both men and women are called to make disciples and to teach all that Christ has commanded. And again, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul's words, speaking of the whole church, that men and women are to teach and admonish one another. You see, here's the truth. Women are gifted at teaching. And so they should use their gifts to build up the body. However, according again to verse 12, women are not to teach or exercise authority over a man. In other words, again, women should not lead as elders and they should not lead as pastors within the church. Rather, women are called to submit gladly to the servant leadership of the elders. Now, yes, I just said servant leadership of elders. You see, elders, and we're going to get more into this next week, but elders serve the body with the word of God. Elders are men who are to love and care and nurture and serve the body of Christ by teaching wisely the very words of God. And so as this leadership happens, as this leadership takes place according to the word of God, women and even men who are not elders gladly submit to such servant leadership. So unlike Ephesus, as a faith family, we should not rebel against biblical God-honoring leadership within our local church. Now again, you may be wondering, does this mean women can never be in any type of leadership in the church? Again, that is not what Paul is saying here. You see, women can lead in various positions of the church under the authority of the elders. You see, when women and non-elder men submit to the elders, they are free to lead in a variety of positions and can thrive in those ministries across the church as God intended. In fact, when we look through the New Testament, we see women teaching, women helping, women serving, women equipping, and yes, women spreading the gospel. Now, I love this because at this point, I love what John Piper has to say about these words. He says, the fields of opportunity are endless for the entire church to be mobilized for ministry, both male and female. Nobody is to be at home watching soaps and reruns while the world burns. God intends to equip and mobilize the saints under the leadership of a company of qualified men who take primary responsibility for leadership and teaching in the local church. In other words, hear me out on this. Do not tell women like Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliott and Jen Wilkin and Rosaria Butterfield and Nancy Guthrie and Blair Lynn, that they are sidelined within the church. You see, these women have embraced what Scripture has outlined, and they thrive for the glory of God through the ministry within the local church under the authority of their elders. So, as women who teach, as women who lead, let's do so in a biblical way. Because a woman who teaches in a biblical way, a woman who leads in a biblical way, she reflects God's pattern for scripture and reinforces God's priorities in the home. You see, in our churches, we need women teaching and leading. 
We need women discipling other women. We need women and men teaching and leading our children. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I am thankful for Pastor Corey's words this past week about the desire to want to restart Sunday school. But here's the reality, and you heard him say it. We are not starting until our children have teachers and our children have leaders. As adults, our passion and our desire should be for our students and our children and the next generation to grow in their faith and understanding of who God is and what the word says so that as they go into the world, they can live according to the word and not according to the standards of our world. That's on us as adults. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if we are here one year later and we still don't have adults teaching our children and students, I assure you we still will not have Sunday school for adults. And if that upsets you, you need to read the word. Because this is on us as adults. But coming back to our text, coming back to the role of women in the church, we need women who carry out roles in ministries and ministry efforts related to service, related to missions, related to prayer, related to evangelism. There's a lot of areas where women can serve. And yet, at the same time, we need women who will model grace-filled, sacrificial leadership within the home so that younger women can learn from them. So as God's elect, as God's chosen people, we should point one another toward biblical faithfulness on the issue of our specific and distinct gender roles as man and as woman. Now we move from there and we get into verses 13 and 14 and we see Paul's words here where he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now here begins Paul's example of understanding his previous points in verses 9 through 12. You see, Paul is stating here for God's design in creation, he gives authority to man. Now Paul is not just speaking specifically to a cultural issue now, rather he is giving us a central revelation. So what Paul is saying is when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we can see that God created man before he created woman. So this points to the affirmation of the headship of man within the local home. Now this was clearly not Paul's opinion by the time you get to 1 Timothy chapter 2, as many scholars would have us believe today. Rather, this is divine revelation that ties back to the Old Testament, which never changes. Paul then states, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now men, do not look at the woman beside you and say, See, the pastor has now affirmed that all of this is all your fault. That is wrong. That'll put you on a couch. That will lead to a phone call to your pastor where you may need a room to stay. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the Harvey bed and breakfast is full. Men, that cannot be any further from the truth. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's actually pointing us back to God's design in creation. And he's showing us Satan's distortion of creation, which is this. Satan's distortion of creation occurred when man abdicated his authority and women had to assume that authority. You see, this verse here says that the woman, the woman and not the man was deceived. 
Now, Paul, again, is not saying that women shouldn't lead because they are emotional or that women shouldn't lead because they are easily duped. Rather, he's pointing us back to sin entering the, word, uh, the world in Genesis chapter 3. You see, here's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Satan subverted God's design. He did this by approaching Eve and not Adam. And so Satan undercut Adam's responsibility as the leader of his home. Yet in response to what Satan was doing, Adam sat back and did nothing. And so God's good design was distorted. Simply put, sin entered the world when man abdicated his God-given responsibility to lead. Man did not step up with godly, gracious leadership. And so here Paul uses this truth to say to the church that God's design in the home and God's design in the church is of God and therefore it is good. So if you want to know the answer to why there is sin in the world, if you want to know the answer to why we are so divided as a society, to why we are so divided as a church, if you want to know why there is heartache, why there is hardship, why there are issues in this world, why we continue to turn on the TV and see constantly in our face sin after sin after sin, watching our society continue to fall further and further and further away from God it's because man abdicated his role as leader in his home men that's on us it's totally on us so men you are being encouraged by encouraged by the words of Paul today do not abandon your post Men and women, you are being encouraged by Paul today to work out your biblical roles with tenderness and with grace. Paul then moves from here into verse 15 and he says this, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, again, we have to ask at this point, Paul, what are you getting at? Well, there are actually two ways to look at this passage. One way to look at it is this. We can look at it and say that even though woman ate of the fruit first and sin entered the world through her, the promise remains that the Savior of the world would enter through her as well. We see this when the gospel is presented in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when we learn that a child would be born through Eve's line who would trample the servant. The second way we can look at this passage was obviously looking back at Ephesus. Clearly in Ephesus, the woman's role in the church, in the home, in marriage, and even in bearing children was misconstrued by false teachers. And so now Paul focuses on the one thing that only women can do, and that distinction still remains today. No guys are giving birth. Guys can't even handle being sick, let alone having children. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying to us that God created women uniquely. He created them beautifully and distinctly with responsibilities that are unique and good and right for the church and unique and good and right for the home and for marriage and yes, unique, good and right in even bearing children. Now, in looking at our text, Paul goes on to speak that women who are followers of Christ must persevere in obedience to the will of God and so they must continue in faith and love and holiness. Now again, hear me on this. This does not mean a woman must bear a child in order to be saved. That is not what Paul is teaching here. However, he does teach us that women are sanctified as they glorify God 
in the distinct roles that God has entrusted to them. So women, again, with all due respect, let me free you in this moment. In a world that teaches otherwise, in a world that tries to muddy the water of the beauty of the beauty of a woman and her role, I want you to know that there is meaning and there is significance behind a woman's gender. So my sisters in Christ, Continue to work out your salvation, not as generic persons, but rather as women of God, created with inherent beauty and value, as well as distinct gifts and distinct opportunities. Seek to thrive in the God-ordained roles that he has given you as wives, as mothers, and as women of God. Again, women are not saved through childbirth. Rather, they are saved through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Men and women are all saved by the mercy of God that is found in Christ at the cross and the victory that is found in the empty tomb. You see, for Paul, like our world today, sin has disordered the world that we live in. Satan has distorted God's design for manhood and his design for womanhood. In fact, our society has now distorted, because of sin, they have distorted the view, uh, views of gender roles. They have distorted views of marriage and of families. And even they have distorted views of the responsibility of the local church. So as a faith family, let us remember that Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has conquered sin. It is Jesus Christ who has trampled to, uh, the devil, and it is Jesus Christ whom we can all now thrive in. You see, it was Christ who died in order to make us the biblical men and the biblical women that God created us to be. So as we move through our days, as we move distinctly and specifically into our roles, let us remember that by God's grace, we are all a part of God's good design. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now just thanking you for this day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to sit down with a passage of scripture, one that is often miscommunicated, one that is misused, misrepresented, even misconstrued. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to seek clarity according to your word. Father, we see that you have given each of us distinct roles. You have given each of us distinct responsibilities. Whether man or woman, we have roles that are unique. Whether it be in our home, in our ministries, even in our churches, and our relationships. And Father, we thank you for these roles. We thank you for the value in your creation. We thank you that we are made in your image and we thank you for the roles that you have given us and the fact that you have called us good. And so, Father, I pray that as men and women of faith, help us to be bold in our stance, in our gender roles and our identities. Help us to speak your truth with grace and with love. And Father, through the roles that you have given us, roles that are unique to us individually, Father, may we seek to glorify you above all else. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for this time. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.